U.S. President Biden in Israel and how, from our guest perspective, U.S. foreign policy has played a big role in the Israel-Hamas war currently and in the history that has led up to this conflict. We just played a little bit of audio of uh, President Biden speaking to American public saying um, we're going to do our best to not sit idly by and get any friends or family that are missing back safe. Uh, He, of course, met with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in Tel Aviv today. Uh, So let's talk a little bit about the purpose of his visit and uh, how the U.S. has really played a big role in what is currently going on. Our guest is a professor of international relations and political science at St. Thomas University, Dr. Sean Narine. Dr. Narine, thanks for making the time. Good to talk to you. Uh, thanks very much, Chelsea. It's nice to talk to you, too. So let's just kind of clarify what, what the ultimate purpose is of this visit, of Biden being in Israel. What's the, what's the ultimate goal here? Well, it certainly looks like Biden is there to sort of shore up support for Israel and to show that uh, the U.S.'s unconditional support for Israel is very much in place. Um, and that's interesting because, you know, um, usually when these things happen, when these sorts of uh, flare-ups of violence happen between the Palestinians and Israel, the Americans talk at least at some point about uh, restraint and um, um, finding a peaceful res, or at least, uh, you know, finding a resolution, however temporary. Mm-hmm. Um, Biden isn't using that kind of language now, and that's really interesting because uh, a lot of people have thought he might be going there to kind of restrain Israel, to kind of set a few guideposts uh, for its conduct. Um, at least at this point, it doesn't seem that's the case. Yeah, it seems like sort of a, a delicate approach. Talk a little bit about the relationship between these two countries. Why does the U.S. need this relationship with Israel? Why not go and ask for restraint? Well, I don't really think that the U.S. does need the the relationship with Israel. I mean, uh, in the past, it was possible to argue that Israel was a a, a strategic asset in the Middle East. But uh, that hasn't been true, frankly, for decades. In many ways, uh, Israel is a real problem for the United States. The United States has lots of allies in the Arab world who are dependent on it, who basically follow its instructions. it's in fact it's its relationship with Israel massively complicates its relationship with the Arabs. And so it's not not about strategy or, or security any longer at all. It's really about largely American domestic politics from what I can tell. And um and quite frankly, it's a little bit irrational and uh, really disturbing when you look at how the level of violence that's exploded in the region. Sure. Um and 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 how the Americans are sort of totally 100% behind Israel, despite the fact, you know, that their own policies have called for things like a two-state solution, but they they really do nothing to actually make those policies become a reality. Yeah, if this visit is, you know, politically motivated, it seems sort of like an odd move as now, you know, I think more and more people are understanding um, the role that Israel has played when it comes to the treatment of Palestinians and oppressing them to to a really large degree. So it seems it seems kind of odd to take this stance. Let's talk a little bit about that. You you write in an article for the conversation a great piece, by the way, about how this war going on is a product of the failure of American foreign policy. So let's just talk about how the U.S. has played a role in what has gone on for the last couple of decades and what's currently going on now. Yeah, well, I mean, focusing specifically on the question of Israel, now, part of the argument I make in the article is simply that I think all throughout its history in the Middle East, the United States has done things that have really, in most cases, made things much worse. 
And I think the world has had to put up with this because the United States is just so powerful. Mm. Um, in the specific case of the Israeli situation, um, the Americans, like I said, they've given unconditional support to Israel. In many ways, that's gotten progressively worse since kind of the 1980s. Uh, and, and by giving such unconditional support, it's meant that Israel has felt it can do anything that it wants. And, and as a result, it has in many, many ways. And uh, the Americans, you know, slap it on the wrist occasionally, but they never actually use the enormous leverage that they have to force Israel to uh, restrain itself. For example, you know, I mentioned the article, the biggest single obstacle to the two-state solution, which, which most people agree seems to be well, actually, I should say most people used to agree that seemed to be the way out of this endless conflict. You know, create a Palestinian state, um, have it side by side with Israel, put in place various kinds of security assurances for both sides, et cetera, et cetera. But, but nationalist Israelis, uh, for a variety of reasons, including uh, re- re- religion as well as national security, nationalist Israelis, right-wing Israelis, have always wanted all of the West Bank, you know, which they consider to be greater Israel. And they pushed that agenda by building settlements for four four decades now. Like in 1979, when the Camp David Accords were signed, there were 7,000 Jewish settlers I know, who, who shouldn't have been there because uh, uh, it's totally against the law building uh, settlements in occupied territory. But there were 7,000 settlers in the West Bank. Today, there are 700,000 and these are people, these aren't just settlements, these are established cities. Most people now think the two-state solution is dead. But the Americans could have been pushing for this. They could have been stopping Israel. They give the Israelis about $4 billion a year. It's their, their number one recipient of foreign aid. The Americans have enormous leverage over Israel. They could have been stopping this. They could have been making their money and aid conditional on Israel stopping to build settlements, stop building settlements. But they never did. They never used the pressure that they had. Uh, Israel has gone further and further to the political right. It's gone further and further down the road of brutally oppressing the Palestinians. I mean, if anyone wants to know what life is like for Palestinians, read the Human Rights Reports or Amnesty International. And it's a really harrowing read what these people go through every single day of their lives. The enormous brutality. And it's gotten significantly worse under the present government of Israel, which is the most right wing ever. Um, so the Americans could have been using their leverage um, against both sides, frankly, and they just never did. And they let this thing slide to the point that finding a resolution um, is, you know, it's really hard to see what it would be, because if the two-state solution is dead, what else is there? You know, are the Palestinians supposed to just live forever mm. in increasingly small, smaller and smaller plots of land under greater and greater pressure, facing more and more unrestrained uh, um, violence from Jewish settlers and the IDF as well. So the situation that you're describing certainly sounds to me like the U.S. has been complicit in in great oppression of Palestinians then. How is this not oh, yeah. broken humanitarian law, and how could this now, uh, all of this conflict shining a light on the U.S.'s role in this, affect their their global positioning with other countries, or other relationships? Are they at risk here? Well, yes and no. I mean, it's kind of interesting because uh, if you look at how the world has responded to the present situation in Gaza, now this may change, but in fact, in many ways, Israel has more support now than it ever has. 
And, and for example, African countries, which historically have been very much in favor of the Palestinians and, and very much opposed to, to, uh, to what they see as a colonizing power, they've begun, you know, they've, they've begun to establish relationships with Israel, and they're, they're very much following their own national interests. And their national interests seem to be, at least some of them, not all of them, but about half of African countries have sort of taken a side, uh, taken this, uh, sat on the sidelines, or they've actually, you know, sort, sort of supported Israel. Now, South Africa, which is by far Israel's biggest uh, economic partner in in Africa, is also the country that is the most opposed to what to what Israel is doing because they you know they they had their own experience of of, of, of of living under apartheid and they see the same thing with the Palestinians. Um, India, which historically has been a very pro-Palestinian state, has now become very strongly pro-Israel. But that actually reflects the Hindu nationalism that's taken hold in India. And so the world is moving in different and complex ways. Mm. At the same time, within the Arab world itself, I think you know, when Joe Biden literally tans a bear hug with Benjamin Netanyahu, the message that's sent is that everything that happens to the Palestinians from now on has American approval. The Americans are complicit mm-hmm. in it. They've given Israel the green light, and they will, in fact. Um, you know, how that's going to affect American standing in the Muslim world I think, will be very damaging, particularly since I don't think this particular conflict with Gaza is going to end anytime soon. Yeah, it certainly doesn't sound like a ceasefire is something that um, that is around the corner by any stretch. You talk a little bit about this, uh, you know, about how all these these countries and these different relationships are, are kind of moving in different directions. You mentioned the idea of a multipolar world where the U.S. Mm. is not firmly in control, or at least as firmly in control as you know maybe it used to be, or we'd like to think that it w- that it is. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, well, one of the things to keep in mind is that there are a lot of countries who are American allies, and some, frankly, who aren't, who get their major major supply of oil from the Middle East. And so they want the region to be stable. You know, and, and China gets more than 50% of its oil from the Middle East. Um, Japan gets about 80 or 90% of its oil from the Middle East. So the Americans don't get nearly as much oil as they used to from the Middle Eastern region, but their allies do. And, and one of the ways, I think, in which you demonstrate that you are a good manager of the international system is if you can create a stable system. Now, I would argue the Americans have frequently done exactly the opposite throughout the history of, of their 70 years of the dominant power in the world. In the Middle East, though, it's particularly the case that they have been, they've created one massive catastrophe to another. The level of incompetence is absolutely breathtaking. And... Um, I think that, you know, the countries like China, China sort of scored a diplomatic coup a few months ago when it helped bring together Iran and Saudi Arabia. And that really frightened the Americans. It's actually one of the reasons the Americans have been trying to push the normalization of relations between Saudi Arabia and Israel. Hopefully, I'm not getting too, too, too uh, specific or or, or going too much into the the weeds here. But, um, but, But China, anyway, has been saying, look, we want there to be peace in the region because we understand we get our energy from it and we want it to be stable. Um, and I think that I don't see any indication right now that China wants to get involved in this particular mess, mm-hmm. right? It's an American-caused mess. It's an Israeli mess. And why would you want to get your hands dirty with it? But at the same time, there may come a point where people say, look, the United States has mismanaged this region so badly and has caused so much chaos and so much suffering that the rest of us who depend on it 
much more than the Americans do, have to start taking a more active hand in actually playing a role in trying to manage the situation and create some peace. And which uh, and China in particular has good relations with Israel and Palestine. And so, you know, it has and it's certainly going to be much more even handed in how it approaches the issue than the Americans. But again, I don't see this happening anytime soon. I do think that the United States has damaged itself um, among many people because what governments do, you know, the policies of governments don't necessarily reflect the sentiments and the observations of people. And I think that many people, particularly in the, in the global south, are well aware, you know, they've been aware for decades of exactly how badly Palestinians are treated, how, how much they suffer. And they're well aware of how much the Western world, and the Americans in particular, have been behind this. And Western hypocrisy is a really big problem, you know, for the Western world. That This is one of the reasons that the Americans and the Western world had so little luck getting the rest of the world to sanction Russia after it invaded Ukraine. Because people said, well, look, how is this different from your invasion of Iraq? Why should we be taking a moral position hmm. following you? When you're clearly hypocrites, you know, when your morality is clearly, you know, extremely situational. And the same thing is true right now with what's happening in Gaza. I mean, the violations of international law that have been going on. You know, Gaza's been under a 17-year blockade that is simply illegal. You know, every Jewish settlement that goes up in the West Bank and Gaza is illegal. It's always been illegal. And yet, nonetheless, we talk about things like, international law in respect to Russian violations or Chinese violations, and we completely ignore them when it comes to a country like Israel. And people notice this, and people recognize it, and it's why Western credibility has taken such a terrible pounding over the past several years. How much does Canada's then credibility take take a hit? Because I think oftentimes Canada is sort of perceived as, you know, part of the states or, you know, kind of a, uh, an arm of it anyways. So how does all of this impact us? Yeah, well, I think I think seeing Canada as an extension of the U.S. is pretty accurate. You know, we we've kind of decided, particularly in the emerging multipolar world, we've decided that our economic and other interests lie solidly with the United States, and and we're more of an overt servant, vassal of the United States now than maybe we've been in a very very long time, maybe ever. Um, but Canada's reputation, Canada generally has a good reputation in the world, though in many ways it's undeserved. And I do think that on this particular issue, um, you know, you have the spectacle of Canada's political leaders lining up the other day, you know, to sort of pledge fealty to supporting Israel. Now, I don't have any objections to the idea of supporting Israel, but it kind of depends on what you mean by that. Mm. Uh, giving unconditional support to Israel is simply self-destructive of Israel, frankly, and I think of our own moral standing. And it's also, to me, really puzzling. I mean, as I said, it doesn't take a lot of energy to go out and find exactly how much the Palestinians have suffered over over the decades. Mm -hmm. You know, what happened on October 7th with Hamas's attack on Israel was horrendous. And, you know, it can't be excused, but it can be understood, right. right? It is possible to understand why people do horrible, horrible things. Human beings, remember, these are human beings doing horrendous things. And the question becomes, what happened to human beings? What, what pressures and, and humiliations and anger and rage and deprivations did they face that turned them into people capable of doing truly inhuman things? Dr. Um, Noreen, I, I know that, we can... That's really 
we can probably keep talking about this for the next two hours of the show. And (laughs) goodness knows you are fascinating to listen to, but uh, that's all the time that we have. So let's book you again to keep this conversation going because I know that there's so much more to touch on. Really appreciate getting your insights today. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Of course. That's Dr. Sean Narine, Professor of International Relations and Political Science at St. Thomas University, talking about U.S. foreign policy playing a big role in the Israel-Hamas war and the global ramifications of this conflict.